This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. This podcast is great because your enthusiasms, it's why we've all been reading you for so long. This is a great vehicle for you to actually get to in a long-form way, explore those enthusiasms, sometimes with the perspective of an additional 10 or 20 years. Thanks for doing this today, pal. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having the me. fun of this is, I just talk to guys that I want to talk to. That's what, to me, is such a blast about listening to your show. First of all, the first time I ever saw Bernie on television, I started to talk like him <laughs> as I was watching him. <laughs> Can you imagine a great Michael Jordan saying, hey, you know what? We can't beat the Pistons. Let me go join them. The essence of sports is about competition. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we are sticking with baseball upper management. Because we spoke to Brian Cashman of the Yankees the other day. Today we welcome one of the most progressive and transformative executives in baseball history. Billy Bean is the executive vice president of baseball operations and a part owner of the Oakland Athletics. We can't wait to spend some time talking to him about everything that's going on with his team and in the sport. But before we get started with Billy, I want to tell you about our great sponsor, Kronos. Kronos knows that many organizations maintaining a modern workforce of hourly, full, and part-time workers, for them, it can be a challenge. This is especially true for human resources professionals working hard to attract and retain all the best talent. That's why Kronos puts HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. It's one specially designed to give HR professionals supporting a blended workforce a whole new level of confidence. With it, they have everything they need to tackle nearly any human resources challenge and are empowered to not just find and hire the right people, but to engage, motivate, and reward them every single step of the way. Learn more about Kronos HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them because Kronos is at heart a people business at Kronos.com slash HR swagger. Kronos workforce innovation that works. Welcome back to the Mike Lubica podcast. And if you have read my column, or you have listened to this podcast, or you have followed my career, you know that um, I am the president of the Billy Bean fan club. I am not alone in that fan club. He is one of the most transformative executives in the history of baseball and in modern sports history because of the work he has done with the Oakland A's, uh, spending way less money than most of the other top teams in the sport. Um, obviously, um, in, in, a, in, in an outrageous miscasting, um, they, they found this homely actor to play Billy in the film uh, Moneyball after Michael Lewis's fantastic runaway bestseller about Billy's success with the A's. Um, and as I sit here today, as we have begun the second half of the season, I said to Billy with a text the other day, here we go with this crap of the A's being good again. Hey, Billy, how are you? Good, Mike. Good. Yeah, and thanks for the kind words. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been a while, so it's good to, good to speak. Hey, all right. So, Billy, let, let's start here. And and again, everybody has a different race to run. And so I know how much the Yankees spend. I was talking to your friend Brian Cashman the other day, and he was speaking admiringly of the work you do. And we know how much the Red Sox are spending. What uh, What is the current payroll of the 2019 Oakland A's? 
Oh, God, I think we're high this year. I think we're somewhere in the 80s. I oh believe. my God! Oh my yeah, God! I right. Yeah, I think we're in the mid mid eighties. Yeah, I want to say about the, yeah mid to maybe just above mid eighties. So so we got a little bit of a bump last year. We started out about uh, sixty eight, and I think we finished at just over seventy with a couple of trades. So so we uh, yeah. So I think we're up in the mid eighties now, and uh, and happy to be there. <laughs> Clearly, you're throwing money around like a drunken sailor. Shame on you. Hey, Billy. Um, uh, l- let's start with the most recent acquisition because. You picked up a guy who, you know, his numbers may not jump out at you, but everybody has known about Homer Bailey for a long time, and and he goes from the Reds now to the A's, and it's one of those moves that you seem to make every summer that says, we're serious. Yeah, you know, well, first of all, it came out of, you know, and, and Homer's a familiar name. I mean, he, a big prospect with the Reds, signed a big contract, and went through, uh, went through some, you know, arm surgeries, and and really, for us, it was a little bit of a matter of desperation. We we really have that thin starting pitching coming into the season. We've lost some guys, and it was about this time we actually anticipated some of our younger, better prospects to be ready, guys who had come off injuries themselves, and also Shamanaya. But we they've all been slow to return, and so uh, in in Homer's case, you know, we're trying, when we make a deal, we're really trying to thread the needle. We're looking for low cost acquisition. We're looking for low cost in terms of salary, and then ultimately a team's willingness to to move them. So there's just really not a lot of guys that we get to target. And in Homer's case, you know he signed as a minor league free agent of the Royals and, and has uh, had some really good starts at the first half of the season, and and thought that it was sort of a low risk, high reward acquisition for us. We're still out there looking for some other guys, but uh, uh, in the case of Homer, we've just felt like you know given the uh, the lack of depth that we've had. Uh, or do have that uh, it was a worthy, uh, worthy pursuit. We're talking to Billy Bean on the Mike Lubica podcast. I remember when we spoke. Uh, I forget whether it was in the spring or early summer last year. You you were telling me how uh, you ended up with Brett Anderson because you ran into him. You ran into him in the gym one day in Arizona. You no, know, it's true. Uh, it, that was the previous spring, and I, you know, we've had Brad here. You know, we traded for him when he was in, uh, a young minor leaguer with the uh, Diamondbacks. So I've always been a big fan of Brett's. So I, I think you know he's uh, his career has been interrupted by injury, but you know he's got really he's got good stuff. Uh, he's still very very young. We signed him last year, and he was a lifesaver for us. And uh, we actually, you know, he was a free agent again this year, and we we uh, re-signed him again. And again, trying you know trying to thread that needle between cost and uh, and Brett came back, and heck, he's, he's got nine wins for us. He probably should have got the win on Sunday as well. He's been he's been great for us, and, and it really the only thing that stopped Brett from being a, an even better major league pitcher than he is is just injuries. And, and you know, crossing our fingers, he's he's been healthy so far. You know, you guys, let's go back to the season. You guys had such an odd beginning to the season. Um, playing in Japan, you go over there, you get thumped a couple of times by the Mariners, and you did not get off to a good start. And, you know, you always talk about threading the needle. And and d- did you ever doubt that, the, I, I think you lately you've been on like a 24 and 11 rip. I, I think I might be right about that. And But do you ever doubt that maybe um, coming out of spring, Coming off a wild card season, that you you may have um, over evaluated your prospects, or did you have a belief that the A's would pull out of it again? Well, what we did, we knew there was going to be a little bit of a gap between the beginning of this year and and mid season. We felt like we had a really good position player group, you know, led by you know, the Mats on the corner, Matt Olson, and at first, and Matt Chapman, and then Loriano in center, Marcus Simeon. 
you know, Piscotti, our, our position player group, we, we felt really good about. What we were very concerned about was our starting pitching. Uh, we really had to basically invent our starting, uh, our whole staff during the offseason. We re-signed Mike Fires, Brett Anderson, uh, you know, a few other guys. Uh, Mangan came from from in, in, uh, an internal uh, movement, but uh, but we knew that we were going to be a little short starting pitching wise at the beginning of the year. Yeah, we felt decent about our bullpen at the time, but what we really wanted to do was sort of just kind of I say when I use the term when we use the term tread water in baseball, you know, if we could kind of hover around the 500 mark or somewhere near there. And if we could get to mid-season, we felt like with the young guys coming back that we'd be in a good position. Uh, and the young guys, uh, you're, it's specifically, Billy, the young guys yeah. you, you, that you were counting on are, are whom? Uh, A.J. Puck, uh, probably arguably our first or second best prospect, big left-handed starter. Uh, is coming back for Tommy John. And he's actually, will he should be back this year, but we thought he might be back at this time. And then Jesus Lazardo, who's arguably one of the maybe the best uh, left-handed prospect in the game, along with McKenzie Gore with the Padres, uh, he actually we anticipated him actually being in the rotation. He had a lat injury and it slowed him down a little bit. And then also Shamanaya, who had surgery last year, and he's actually is, uh, he should be back pretty soon. But we we thought they'd be back in July. None of them have come back now. Uh, so as a result, you know, we that's one of the reasons we acquired Homer, but. What has surprised us is that we actually have played better, I think, in the first half uh, than we anticipated. We really just wanted to kind of hang around 500, maybe make a deal. Because in this game, the one thing I found out is, you know, when you get to the midway point, some, you know, clubs just, some teams just fold, you know, full tent and they uh, throw their cards in. And sometimes just staying in the game and, you know, kind of kidding yourself that you're in it, sometimes you, you find yourself in it because there's a lot of wins in the second half of the year. Uh, because you're playing teams that at that point are playing for the uh, the next year. So we've always sort of said, listen, we're we're gonna we're gonna sort of will ourselves into being competitive, and in the second half we're gonna be a better team by virtue of either acquisitions or players coming through the minor leagues, and just by virtue of just staying in the game. But what has surprised us, Mike, is that again that you know if you told me at this point we we're gonna be 12 games over 500, and and we do have a game actually potentially we've got a game that we're leading 5-2, I think in the eighth inning that we got to finish up so we could be 54 and i think uh 41 but if you told me this at the beginning of the year we'd be sitting here i'd say we're in great shape again the difference being though is that we would we do need to get some uh, either through acquisition some uh relief pitching maybe another starter uh if we don't get some of our younger guys back so so i'm very pleased bob melvin who does a phenomenal job here uh and his staff have really done a great job of and, and again it's a credit to you know some of the great young players we have here and, and listen we got a good foundation here and going forward next year, uh, you know, I'm even more bullish on next year, uh, assuming all these guys are back. Billy, you know, you you hardly ever throw your cards in. I mean, w- w- historically, and we, you and I have talked about this more than one, uh, more than once over the past few years. If you think you've got any kind of chance, you 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 are a player in in July. You, 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 historically, you've been a player. You you have done everything possible to give your team its 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 best chance and and damn the payroll. You're, you know, you, I listen. Maybe not not damn old, the but... payroll. Not not. I'm not saying that you can now spend as much money as you want to. What I'm saying is clearly, if you watch your team play, they don't act like they're at a disadvantage because the Red Sox are spending 230 million dollars on baseball players. 
No, I mean, we listen. I've, this, I've been doing this too long. I, you know, I'm, I'm, we've never really, you know, went into this like, hey, we're going into a five-year rebuild. Uh, number one, every major league win you get here is is precious. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm again, it's not something. The other thing too is, listen, even our economics suggests that I'm not sure we could wait out a five-year plan because in year three we might not be able to afford it. So, right. We've always sort of viewed every season as an opportunity. In fact, last year when we spoke, Mike, and I might have mentioned it last year when, we were on the pod, when I was on the pod last year, is that you know the, when we went the, the beginning of the season last year, there was there was teams that were definitively in you know going into the season definitively wanted to compete for a playoff spot, and then there, it seemed there were teams that did not. Right. So what you what wasn't occupied was this kind of this middle space. Where, and that middle space was going to get wider halfway through the season when more teams threw their cards in. So we sort of said, there's a lot of wins out there. If you just sort of, you know, like you said, will yourself saying, hey, we're going to try and win. I know that sounds sort of more simple than it really is. But we, we view every season as an opportunity. Even in the years where we have not been successful, we have never, every, we've, every dollar that we've had, we've used to try and win a game that season. Uh, you know, in fact, I remember in 12, this is in 2012, we actually traded uh, uh, Trevor Cahill. We traded Andrew Bailey uh, and Gio Gonzalez. And this was in the first half of the winter. And then the, you know, the uh, automatically the headlines, oh, they're rebuilding, they're tearing it down. Well, what we did was we acquired a number of young players in that, in those transactions. And then come January, we actually had freed up some, payroll room. And, and in, in that January, we signed Coco Crisp. Uh, we signed Suspedis, that We signed Cologne. We traded for Seth Smith. And ultimately, that uh, winter was really the foundation for teams that went to the playoffs three years in a row. So we never, you know, here are just, this is our DNA. We are never going to just say, hey, you know, this year, you know, we hope that we get a high draft choice by virtue of having a poor season. I, it's just not something, not who we are. And again, when you do that, you, you know, there's opportunities, I think, that you're missing. You know, it's funny. I was I was uh, reading my friend Scott Osler's column in the Chronicle the other day about the A's and ending the first half of the season. And what an entertaining season, uh, team they are. Billy, you know, it looked for a while like the Astros might run away with the West in the American League the way the Dodgers are doing that in the National League. Well, not so fast. And all of a sudden, not only have you guys made, they've come back a little. You guys have played exceptional baseball over the last five weeks or six weeks. And even even the A's have played themselves into the wild card conversation. So what didn't look like a particularly strong division uh, early on in the early innings of this season looks like one now. Yeah, you know, I have, uh, listen, I think everybody who follows the game, Houston is, is, first of all, they're a smart group of guys at the top running that team. Smart manager, A.J. Hinch and his staff, and they probably got the best talent base uh, in the American League. So, I mean, we're still a long way. We've been playing a pretty good clip. You know, the Astros have been dealing with some injuries or getting some guys back, Springer's back. I know Correa's going to be back. So, I still think we're humble enough to realize that, uh, you know, Houston is not, not only the team to beat in the division, and there's a long way for us to go, but they're arguably maybe the team to beat in the American League, obviously with uh, my good friend Brian's team over there in New York. So long way to go. They got a lot of games with us. And in fairness, too, uh, you know, when the Astros for, in, you know, first started building this club, we really had our way with them the first couple of years. I mean, I think one year we might have beaten them every game or lost just one, and What's happened since then, though, is they've uh, they've had a long memory and they've they've taken it to us pretty consistently here the last 
a couple of years. While we've played well against uh, the rest of the league, the Astros have uh, again, uh, you know, again they've had our, their way with us. So we, when we do play them, which is uh, next week, we we've got to find a way to beat them. Talking to Billy Bean on the Mike Lubica podcast, happily. Uh, let's talk about your team um, right now because um, you do have a a, a very and, and and solid sounds like damning them the faint faint praise, but position players and the, your big guy is is having a good season. But I don't think Chris Davis is having a great Chris Davis season yet. And despite that, again, if you get that suspended game, you're. 54 and 41. Yeah, no, Chris is, I mean, listen, you know, and that's, I guess that's the beauty of Chris is he would tell you, this has been a, you know, a struggle for him. He, he got nicked up with a couple of little injuries, but you know, he, he struggled a little bit with a swing, but he, he's still probably going to hit his 30 plus homers as you know, which for him is low. Cause he's been a 40 plus guy the last few years. But, you know, and again, I go back and I mentioned at the beginning here, you know, we've got two pretty special players and, and we've uh, on, on the corners of Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. And in my opinion, we may have one of the most underrated players in the uh, game with Marcus Simeon at shortstop. <laughs> and uh, but Bob has said it most recently. We all agree. I mean, to see where this kid, when he, when we put him at shortstop his first year, I mean, there was nobody who believed he was ever going to be a major league shortstop. And you look at him now, and he's turned into arguably maybe the most consistent all-around shortstop, one of the most consistent, certainly, uh, in the league. And, and again, people don't talk about him, but I think I saw, I think of all the players who did not make the all-star team, he had the uh, the highest war, uh, you know, wins above replacement. And, uh, again, people don't talk about him, but He's, he's become really good on both sides of the ball, and he plays every single day at a position that's physically demanding. So, you know, it's guys like that that, uh, and, you know, again, listen, we've always had guys like that, that, you know, uh, you know, being on the West Coast, being even in the shadow of the Giants, you know, they're, 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 we, we have some players that a lot of the country doesn't know about, and, and, and Marcus is one of them. But the two kids in the corner are special players, and uh, they're going to be here for a long time, which is good. And as long as they're here, we got a shot. And you have a theme park. In center field, <laughs> I mean, Billy, he is—he's great adventure, Loriano. But uh, I mean, he—he's so much fun to watch. And he, I don't know, did you expect him to be this kind of hitter? Was he supposed to be this kind of hitter or not? You know, I'll tell you what surprises Mike is. Well, first of all, you know, and again, this is a credit to the Astros. They're their system is so deep that they, they, they kind of had to trade the guy because they were, didn't have the roster space. And we had actually tried to acquire him the previous year uh, in a Trey Wicks. We were talking to Trey with Sonny Gray with him, and uh, he was you know, one of the guys that we talked about. We were obviously never able to bring that uh, trade to completion, but we'd always kind of kept in the back of our mind. And like any good organization, they took notes that we liked them, and when they needed to move them, they, uh, you know, they needed a roster spot, they moved them. But he was coming off a poor year in injury, so we, we kind of got, got him at the right time. But what surprised us about him is how strong this kid is. I mean, he, he, there's a good chance he his 18th or 19th homer the other day to dead center, and there's a chance this kid hits 30 homers to go along with that defense. And if you think about sort of gold-glove caliber center fielders and guys who hit 30 home runs, that puts you in a pretty special category. In fact, I think there's only one of them, actually, now that I think about it, that's Probably the guy over there, down there in Anaheim, uh, you know, a guy by the name Trout. But yeah. not a lot of, not a lot of guys who play that good a defense and hit thirty homers in that position. So we feel pretty, pretty lucky to have him. And again, it's a credit to the Houston, 
you know, scouting department and their front office that, you know, that, that, that a guy like this can be a spare part and turn into a star player for us. And it's, it's mainly a result of them just being really deep and really good over there in Houston. You know, it's amazing. I, you know, I've got the stats in front of me. And if we had told you when you came out of Arizona that Chris, I don't know if this is a glass half empty or glass half full question, if that Chris was going to be your fourth leading home run hitter at this point in the season, you probably would have had me drug tested. But the reality is Chapman's ahead of him. Laureano's ahead of him. Um, Olsen's ahead of him, and, and Chris is sitting there. And again, he's not having a horrible year. It's 16, 45, and, and uh, you know, he'll end up with the same batting average he always does. Yeah, we does know he's going to hit 247. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but that's been a – it's been not – that, not that Olsen and Chapman, for example, have hit that kind of home runs, but it, 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 you, you have a right to believe that if Chris were having even a normal season at this point, you'd even be better off than what you are right now. Well, you like to think, and the other thing about uh, uh, Olsen, Matt Olsen, remember, he missed the first month of the season, too. I believe since he's come back, he's either first, second, or somewhere in the top two or three in the game in home run. So we missed Matt, and, you know, he, he fractured his handmate bone the second game of the season at Japan and didn't come back uh, for a number of weeks. So, you know, we've, again, if, if you'd have told me that at the start of the season, we end up where, where given all the other things, I'd have been even uh, surprised. Again, I think it's a credit to what what the guys here have accomplished. Uh, and, and, you know, if you have a healthy Matt Olson, the possibility Matt's up there with Bellinger right now with, uh, you know, 30-plus homers. But he's, I think he's got 19 or 20 himself right now after missing like five, six weeks. I was talking, I, I told you I was talking to Brian Cashman the other day, and I know you two have been friends uh, for a long time, and you, you're just a few years older than he is. But he said that when he was starting out as like an assistant GM, they'd say, okay, you can, here's the guys you can talk to. And they picked out like the young guys, okay, back in the 90s. They, oh, yeah, you can talk to Bean, and you can talk to this guy. And Powers was another one, Kevin. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but Billy, I asked Brian this the other day. And, and these, you guys are in the barrel. You're not just from spring training on. You guys are in the barrel all year, uh, uh, long. Even though, you know, I, you, you told me about a trip you recently took and I asked you to please take me with you. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but you have been doing this, um, starting when, with when you were an assistant GM for basically 25 years. And you are a young man. You're 57 years old. And I'm just wondering though, <laughs> How how you get yourself up every single year, knowing exactly what you're going to encounter, and and it's like it's it's I don't even know if it's like training for a marathon, Billy. It's like training for one of those tri- triathlons or something. And I was wondering, do you ever wonder how long you can do this? Well, there's some nights you wonder if you can do it for one more night. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because the one thing that never goes away, and, and you know, you mentioned me and Brian is, is funny. I'll tell you a little backstory. Me and Brian have been, you know, he's one of my closest friends in the game, and we essentially started at the same time. And in fact, uh, my very first trade as a general manager, and this is, and this uh, was actually uh, we acquired Kenny Rogers, and they acquired Scott Brocious for us. It was a trade that worked out. Uh, perfectly for both clubs i mean scott was a key member of their 98 championship club and 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 others and kenny actually was great for us and provided the foundation for a lot of deals and actually gave us a lot of cash because they were paying half the salary and that's where me and brian really became friends was he finished out that deal uh and from that point on we were again we were the young guys it was kevin towers myself 
basically Brian Cashman and, and the late Kevin, as you mentioned, uh, a, a good friend of both of ours. And we were the young guys, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we got along and, and we're, it was, and again, that's how we came so close. And, and now you sit here, you know, 20 plus years later, now we're, we're kind of the old guys. Uh, that being said, I don't think either one of us, and, you know, Brian hasn't changed a bit. I mean, he's so smart, so competitive. And, and for both of us, I think every year is a new year. And listen, my assistant will tell you, I mean, I, I, I found ways to sort of manage uh, you know, maybe my competitiveness, whereas maybe 20 years ago I didn't. That's probably a light way of doing it. And I, I think also, too, the experience gives you – I mean, listen, I, I, I know when our team's good, and I know when we're not good. And so there's a sort of sense of calm that you don't necessarily have to go out there and, you know, uh, you know be a snake oil salesman. If we're good, you know, listen, you'll, you, you'll know we think we're good by the transactions we make. If we don't think we're good, then the same thing. The transactions we make will suggest that we need to make changes. And and also, I think we've become very patient in understanding, uh, you know, the length of the season. Uh, and there's never really been a sense of panic. I think I think Brian feels the same way about the way he operates. The thing that's been most frustrating about Brian for me is that I used to kid him. You know, there's a there's a time in the game where the A's and the say the Rays we had trading partners with the big markets teams. They were looking for established, you know, higher cost guys. We were looking for younger players and uh, that we had control over. But that whole game has changed now because what happened when teams like, well, guys like Brian Cashman started really running big market teams and in a very efficient way and started valuing the same things we did, it made our job a lot tougher. Because I used to be a kid with Brian, you know, his dream was to really run the Oakland A's because at heart, he did never like the waste he never he he thought there was a more efficient way to even run the Yankees, and uh, I think you, what you see is a result of that. The Yankees arguably created the best farm system in the game, uh, leading up to this club right now. They have one of the best young teams in the major leagues, and uh, again, they started running the Yankees like I think the Rays on their club for a while, like we've run our club, and you know a few other successful smart market teams, which makes it really hard on us. And uh, even more challenging uh, when smart guys are run have capital, it, it, it becomes a it becomes a tough challenge. The great Billy Bean, and I mean great, is our guest on the Mike Lubica podcast. More of our conversation right after this from Geico. Okay, this is a thirty second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me because I if, if it doesn't confuse me, it's not going to confuse you. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. And anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. The company, of course, is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers. And in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, damn it. I'm out of time. All right. So let's look at the schedule. Two games to Seattle as we have this conversation on July 16th. And then, and then, you guys go into the barrel. Um, four at Minnesota, three at Houston, and then Texas at home for four before you play uh, the Brewers, okay? And um, you, I, I, you're going to know a lot more about your team by then than even you do now after whatever you played, nearly uh, 85 or 85 games if you count the suspended games. Now you're going to now now you're going to have to go toe to toe with some of the best teams in the league. 
No, no question. We're we're well aware of that. I, ironically, <laughs> but, uh, we were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, we've actually struggled struggled more against some of the, the the clubs that that aren't necessarily at the top of their divisions. Uh, I mean, Toronto laid a beating on us uh, both home and away. I think we were zero and six against Toronto. Uh, and you know they're a team that's with young players now, and they they basically I'm sure they're looking at the standings after playing us and wondering how the heck we are where we are because of you know how badly they beat up on us. And again, we we've struggled against some of the the, the uh, you know the teams that aren't in it, uh, and we played pretty well against some of the better teams. Uh, and we have fact, uh, you know Boston, we played very well. We're done with them. Played well against Minnesota, our first home stand here. Um, and we beat St. Louis, uh, both games in St. Louis. So, again, I, we're hoping that that will carry over because, as you sort of point out, the schedule becomes very challenging. But, again, it's the, the, the thing to be careful about is to, to, you know, saying, like, hey, it's July and these are the, this is the most important road trip. If you, again, if right. you sort of look at the seven games that you just mentioned, very, and, and let's also mention we're going to face, I know Garrett Cole one of those games and Verlander in one of those. Games and Miley's in the middle of Miley owns us. He's always pitched well against us. So uh, we're facing good teams, but good pitchers as well. But if we just sort of look at it like, hey, we take this block of game, we kind of hold our own. You know, we either go three and four, or four and three, somewhere along the lines, and and kind of just get through that and kind of manage it like a like a golf course. Then um, you know we'll be fine. You know, I think the biggest thing is just not panic, not uh, be overwhelmed by the schedule, and just sort of take it one game at a time. You, you know, you still one game here, you still one game there, and at the end of the day, a, a tough road trip becomes a 500 road trip, or maybe you know a four and three road trip, and and uh, everything's fine. And so, listen, we all play, we all play, uh, you know, the same teams. Obviously, our division is pretty good, and uh, you know, so we're you know playing a Texas and the Angels. These are teams that are below us, but they're still tough teams, and they're and they're playing for the wild card as well. And listen, Seattle has given us a lot of problems, as you mentioned. They swept us in Japan. And uh, we, we've had trouble. One thing that Seattle does do, they, they can hit. And so, uh, and again, as I told you, some of the concerns that we had on our pitching staff, uh, they're not a particularly great matchup for us. And, and, and we've had all we could handle in every game with them. Let me quote uh, Billy Bean to Billy Bean. Um, and I, I'd just like you to respond to something you said one time. It's all about evaluating skills and putting a price on them. 30 years ago, stockbrokers used to buy stocks strictly by feel. Let's put it this way. Anyone in the game with a 401k has a choice. They can choose a fund manager who manages their retirement by gut instinct or one who chooses by research and analysis. I know which way I choose. <laughs> well, God, I'm glad. That, well, I like to think that quote has aged well. Uh, I may be wrong. It has. Like it, has it has. It has. <laughs> you know, I listen. That, again, it. it you know, this has been a long time. The problem with doing this job so long is that, you know, whenever someone says, hey, there's something you said a while ago, you're kind of holding your breath, right? But uh, I'd like to think that the uh, the quote has aged well, and I like to think now, not only in baseball, but in, in business and in, in actually in life everywhere, we're, all, we're in an age of information, and we're in an age of managing large amounts of data. And I think that's become more important as we've, uh, you know, as we've gone through. And I think, you know, I think you see it in the game. I mean, listen, there's been some, you know, some people would say it's good. Some people would say it's bad in terms of viewing the game. Uh, but there's been some really uh, big, big changes in the way the game is played. And a lot of it's being driven by profitability, analytics. Uh, I mean, just look at the shifts. I mean, you think about it, Mike. 
uh, and again, whether you like it or not is one thing, but if you're talking about, uh, you know, changing the game, one way the game has changed, that's one way. And this, the shifts were open to the industry for 150 years, right? Right. Anybody right. could have done it, you know? So it's either a compliment to the brain power that's here, the information we had driving decision, or an indictment in the first 150 years, one of the two. And uh, again, all this information is, 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 is really bringing and managing this information is bringing some brilliant minds to the game. I, I, I've made this argument. I think baseball is one of the smartest industries in the entire world. And, and before people roll their eyes, we're looking for the same skill sets that, say, Wall Street is looking for, that Goldman Sachs is looking for, the same skill sets that uh, Google and Facebook and all the t- uh, tech companies. We want the same skill sets. And we're competing for the same type of uh, employees. I mean, the, the difference is, is that when you work for a baseball team or a professional sports team, they will come work for you for 30 cents on the dollar because they want to work for a sports team. And right. so we have access to all these brilliant people that we're now bringing into the game. And as a result, you've seen some really massive changes in the way the game is played. Again, whether you like it or not, ultimately, really smart people will exploit what's going on now but uh, but it's been dramatic, and and again, I think it's a result of the bright bright people who are just managing this information to their advantage. When you um, w- when the game starts for the Oakland A's, say it's a home game, okay? I, I no, I always ask you this, but I I'm wondering if there's been any adjustment in your personal in your personal game plan and your personal habits. The 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 game starts at the Coliseum. Where are you? where are you and what are you doing? You know that's the that's the one thing that's never changed by because people ask me. There's two things to ask me. Do you watch the games? And I try not to. <laughs> yeah. I actually try. And Dave, you know, people tell it's the truth. Uh, what now? I, now I have a difference between the road and on at home. So let's take tonight. We have a night game against Seattle. It's very likely what I'll be doing is I'll be finishing up my workout as the game is starting. Okay. Yeah. And then. And then I sort of time it so that once the game starts, you know, we start getting the game, I usually will shower up and I usually disappear. All right. Uh, and, and, and the road game, I absolutely, I watch as few road games. And again, the reason I do that is I have access to go back and see them. We all do. Right. right. And, and so what I listen, I try and manage my team unemotionally based on a large amount of data, over 162-game schedule. But let's face it, and we, we follow sports because we're emotional animals. And if I put my team together unemotionally, I don't want to sit three hours every night and gyrate in my seat. And if that micro-event that happens in the fifth inning of game number 30 in May, I don't want to react to that because I'll probably make a bad decision. So it's sort of a way of managing my emotions. And, and realize that, listen, I can get all the information when the game's over. I can be hopefully an unemotional, good executive based on, you know, objective data and not make decisions based on my emotional reaction from when they happen. So it's, and quite frankly, I'm a much better dad than a father when I don't watch the games. 
You know, I was thinking about you the other day. My oldest son was well. We, as a family, we we are all big Roger Federer fans. Okay, and I, my first real sports writing as a kid was I. I, I went to a lot of Wimbledon's. I wrote more tennis than anything else. I, I was there when Borg and McEnroe played the first breakfast at Wimbledon, the great tiebreaker match. And Chris got was so invested in this match that he sent me a text. He said, "Dad, at this point." the neighbors must think I've lost my effing mind. Okay. Because he was going out into the, he was going out into the courtyard in big moments of the match because he couldn't bring himself to watch. But what you just said, I think any sports fan, certainly any game or match that I'm invested in or even golf tournament, Billy, I can't watch them all. I, I, and I, and I'm thinking this is stupid. You're walking out of the room. You've done this your whole life, okay? You've seen the biggest sports events in the world. You're walking out of the room now because you can't bear to watch. But I think it happens to everybody. Yeah, no, it's it. And you think, I mean, yeah, well, I, I think, like, I'm, I'm trying to think back, Mike, probably, I mean, your alma mater, Boston College, remember the foodie days when they were really at the oh God, top of the yeah. food chain? I mean, and you get so emotionally involved in, you know, particularly people in their college football, right? The rational minds, you know, rational businessmen five days a week. And then when, boom, they're, uh, they're on the water's playing, they're painting their face blue and orange and, uh, you know, become, you know, just emotional wrecks. And, and listen, uh, no matter how many years I do this, I am, I'm a competitor. Uh, uh, but, you know, of course, I'm emotional. I want to govern those emotions. And I don't want to, uh, again, I don't want to make poor decisions based on it. You know, I have a rule. It's funny, but I'm, you know, Bob Melvin, we've been together almost, I think, our ninth year together. When you first came over here, I told him, I said, you know, Bob, listen, after a game, I will never call you unless we absolutely have to make a player move or something, right? Uh, like something that the roster needs, a guy got hurt, and we need to make a call. But I said, let's just assume normal uh, normal day. I says, I'll never call you after a game, whether we win 10 to nothing or we lose 15 to nothing. I won't call you. And because that's an emotional time for everybody. And I, we'll talk in the morning, and 75% of what he would say to me or I would say to him after a tough loss, say, you probably wouldn't say in the morning. And it's been a pretty good rule, and it's one, trust me, I've learned, because earlier in my career that was not the case. And I realized, you know, this is not a great way to manage people, and it's not a great way to manage a team. And so these are the sort of things I've learned with experience. And, again, I, I know myself well enough, and it's, it's really a governor. And, and, and again, trust me, I, you, if I have access to every single – I can watch it over and over again if I want to. Uh, or not watch it again if it's a bad game. And, and I've got information that tells me how the game looks. It, you know, it, it gives me an objective uh, evaluation of the game instead of a subjective evaluation that, you know, when you're watching it, we all have an emotional reaction. We view it through our own emotional lens, and, and I don't want to do that. I got a few more minutes left with Billy Bean. Billy, do you like watching the current construction of the game that we both love? The the swinger missness of it, the it you know home runs or strikeouts. Do you like it as much um, as you always did? Well, you know that's a great, that's a good question. I think it's it's one, uh, it, and I'm not prepared to answer it. Not that I don't have an opinion on it. Is that I always want to be careful. Uh, mainly because I think what's going on now is we've had some dramatic changes in the way the game is played. And listen, I've always been a fan of the home run. You remember going back 20 years ago, we were, you know, everyone used to criticize this because we didn't want to bunt and we didn't yep. want to, we, we, we didn't, we didn't necessarily, 
you know, steal a lot of bases because we didn't think the risk was worth the reward. And now the game is very much, you know, that was our mathematical model that we didn't invent it. Bill James has been saying it for years. So it wasn't, you know, we just basically took uh, Bill's ideas and other smarter people. And now the game is very much turned into that. Now, I think, I think what you got to be careful on is now I'll, I'll try and answer whether I like it or not is I think what you got to be careful on is that this is all a result of, again, trying to become more efficient and using the data to drive your strategy and drive right. the player acquisition. And that's why, listen, the reason we got a lot of home runs here is because it's the most efficient way to, uh, to uh, score a run. And if you pretty much look in a box score for a week, the team that out homers the other team, just look at that one number, about 70%, they win that game. No matter how many other numbers are in there, the team that out homers the other team in a game wins about 70% of the game. I think that's the number. So now what we got, in my opinion, we got to be careful about is making rule changes because of what you're saying. Like, hey, maybe this is not as interesting as we can, as it should be because of the style of play. Because I think what's going to happen is, again, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many smart people in the game that any, anything we're doing now, really smart people are going to find loopholes in it and find a more efficient way. And there's going to be, you know, certain strategies that teams are going to take as a result of what we're doing now. It's almost like, you know, when uh, the government creates a rule for Wall Street uh, uh, or, you know, what happens is really smart people, you know, when things get regulated, really smart people find loopholes and exploit it to an even uh, greater extent. I think we got to take some time before, in my opinion, before we start, you know, saying, hey, we don't like the shift. Let's not do this. We may come to that at some point. I just think let's let's see if some smart guys can figure out a way around it, to, you know, because maybe we have overcorrected defensive, overcorrected. And listen, if you really think about it, and this is true and it's not that easy, but if every, David Ortiz, one of the greatest DHs and sluggers of all time, had no problem laying down a bunt when he uh, – when the shift, when they put the shift on him. Right. Now, some would tell you, like, listen, if David's going to bunt against me every time, I'll take that because I'd rather have him do that than hit a home run. But if you actually think about it, if you have nine guys who can lay down a bunt just like that, then guess what? Teams are going to stop shifting. So, again, I realize that's a little bit uh, much of a black and white argument. But the fact is, is there are ways to beat the shift. We have to choose whether we want to do it. And before we change the rules, let's see if some smart people can exploit uh, some of the things we've done right now. So now to answer your question, whether I like it or not, I love homers. So I have no problem seeing guys hit balls into the seat. So I kind of like it because we've always been a kind of a walking homer type of team. And we've all, when we've done that, we've had success. So I associate homers with success with my team. So I'm a little bit biased. Did you see? Did you did you see the three run homer from Darno that beat the Yankees? Have you seen a replay of it? I mean, it just, I, you know, it's funny. I, I knew he had homered to win, but I hadn't seen the highlight. And when I saw the when I saw the highlights this morning, you know, I saw him getting interviewed. I, I, I think it was an opposite field home run. Yeah, but, yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and as always, I thought Judge was going to catch it. You know, it was one of those Yankee yeah. Stadium home runs. It fell out of the sky, and it's when, when every time Judge goes into the air, Billy, I think I think he's going to catch the ball. I mean, he. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a freak of nature. Um, uh, just a couple more questions. One about your team, and one about an obvious question that I, that I always ask you when we talk. Is it silly for you to declare that you're very much in it in the American League West until you see how the next two weeks are? You, you understand what I'm saying? Would it be premature of you to say yes? We're definitely in this thing, knowing what you're going to encounter over the next two weeks. Well, I think having done this job a long time, the, the, my, any, if I was going to make a public statement, I would say we're not out of it before I'd say we're not in it. I think right. 
I think taking a, a, a verbal stealth approach in anything you do in this game, it probably serves you better and covers you, you know, no matter what happens. Liz, I think we have an opportunity if we play well, you know, to be part of the conversation. Uh, and that's where we are right now. But there's a long way to go. And as you mentioned, you go on, you, you hit the wrong road trip or you have the wrong injury and things can flip on you. But I'll just say this. We're not out of it is probably the best way. Okay. Of, of I, it. All right. And my last question is, eight years later, how many days of the week go by where somebody doesn't mention the movie Moneyball or the book Moneyball to you? Uh, you know, it, it, it still happens a lot. I think that's a credit to, and I to humbly, the people who made the movie, I mean, they, you know, I haven't seen it since, uh, the, the premiere and which is how many years, right. And, yeah, uh, it's eight, eight, eight years. Yeah. It's been eight years. And uh, of course, if I did sit around watching it, that'd be a little weird too. But, uh, <laughs> but the fact is, uh, uh, yeah. but, you know, I, I think in some sense it was, maybe I think it was a, it was a great role for, for Brad Pitt. I think, you know, the time he was around us, he, I think he enjoyed, I mean, he's really a good guy and there's a sense of fraternity that comes with running a baseball team when the people around you. And I think that sort of fit his personality well. And, uh, and so again, I think it's aged pretty well, mainly because, you know, this, the story kind of continues with sports. It's not just baseball where people are, data driven in their decision making and so i think it's aged pretty well and 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 again you still hear about it i think that's a credit to the people who made the movie less than uh, uh less than it is a, a credit to myself well i i will say it again and not because we have gotten to know each other over the years billy bean is has become not just in baseball a transformative front office person in his 25 years in basically in front offices with the Oakland A's. Um, I think he has influenced all of the young guys who, who, who have come after him because he, he knows, and I know it seems like every general manager now who gets the job is what 13 or 14 years and does not yet have a driver's license. Don't you kind of <laughs> look, don't, Billy, don't you look at the field that way sometime and, and, and think that they should be showing up asking, you know, to take somebody to the prom. And um, but it started with 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 you and that generation in the 1990s. The, this sport is always more interesting when the A's are in play. The A's are in play again, and it's going to be really fun to watch them over the rest of the season. Now, I got to ask you, do you think it's time for me to trade in my green and yellow A's cap? Should I go all green now or should I stay with, you know, the green with the yellow bill that I've said? <laughs> Yeah, and, and listen, I know it to be true that you have that hat. I've seen it on you. So, yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, listen, I think having a diverse group of hats to choose from, particularly since this is a superstitious, superstitious sport to begin with, Yeah. Uh, I think having options is good. And I've always <laughs> been a fan of the green. And yeah. if for some reason we're in the wild card, if for some reason we play on the road, nothing would make me happier than to see you wear that hat on a road game at the one-game wild card, wild card playoff. You got it. As usual, I kept you longer than I said I would. I, I, I appreciate um, your friendship. I appreciate the access that I've, I've gotten to you over the last few years. And, hey, man, good luck on this road trip and good luck the rest of the way. 
Thanks, Mike. And hey, let's do it again next year. Okay, man. <laughs> Billy Bean on the Mike Lubica podcast. And again, um, if, if you only know him um, from, from Moneyball, you, you're missing a really good movie this season because here the here come the, the A's again. Uh, this is the kind of conversation. We have it every week. Now we have it twice a week. There's a reason that the popularity of this podcast continues to grow because I get to talk to people like Billy Bean. Uh, go to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you get your podcast. Leave comments if you want to just continue to download and continue to subscribe and we'll talk to you in a few days everybody the mike lupica podcast is produced and distributed by compass media networks in conjunction with hiltzik creative for iphone users go to the podcast app and search the mike lupica podcast click on the mike lupica podcast icon and subscribe for non-iphone users you can listen on google play music tune in stitcher or your preferred podcast platform 